Keep me felcha. Welcome to Ankron Bihal Short Stories and Poetry for August 11, 2023. Hello, my name is Terrence O'Donnell. I'm here with some more good stories and poetry for everyone this week. This once-a-week podcast is being hosted on rss.com and is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Intunes, Google Podcasts, Deezer, and a few others. And a little about me. I'm a senior citizen activist of Irish descent and a self-professed shahoy, a Gaelic storyteller. I want listeners to feel like we are sitting under the Ankrambiha, the tree of life, where I will read you fictional stories from writers I find in medium.com and substack.com including my own stories on occasion. Some are scary, some are very thoughtful and soul-searching, others are just plain fun. This podcast is free to subscribe to for all who care to listen. I do offer the option of donations on the rss.com webpage, where this show is hosted to support my work, much like passing the hat at the end of my visit to your digital village. I am producing this podcast for the purpose of showcasing writers from around the world who are usually not on the New York Times bestseller list, but would like to be. I may be the exception to that rule as I have no desire for that kind of fame. I just hope I entertain you with good stories that spark your imagination and hopefully stay with you for a wee bit after we parted for the day. So now my first story for you this week. So I've got a couple of stories for you. First is a poem by Susie Jacobson Cherry. It's a desert dweller's poem of the past and the present. Then I have a heartfelt story from an Australian, Rain Lore, from their production... R-V-R-V-S-R. Lastly, I have a science fiction story for you from a friend of mine that he wrote in 2020 that he was kind enough to share with us. So the first story I have is entitled Desert Voices by Susie Jacobson Cherry. Desert Voices. How do I speak? Are the voices on the wind? The ancient songs of those who have gone before call to me in languages unknown. They tell tales of civilizations long past and forgotten. People whose faces we see in our dreams who crave understanding. It is in the desert among the memories of the winds where the voices call to me. My feet grow roots in the sand and find anchor in the hard kalish, which defies the defiling penetration of shovel and pick, refusing to submit to, ra- to the ravages of human progress. Those who have been here before moved on with the advance of time, leaving nothing behind but sh- sh- scattered sherds of their living and their dying. Their creative expressions of life in this hard-earned world are lost. There is nothing left of their blood and their bones but the ancient voices that call to we who stand, eyes closed, minds attuned, to the call of another time, another world, not really gone, but simply beyond the veil between this world and the one beside. And she's an American writer, and that's her poem. I really love this one. Um, I spent, you know, a number of my own years in deserts around the world, including the Southwest, which is where she's from. My next story is entitled, The Day a Tree Hugged Me. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Chinese proverb. The very first photograph my mother gave me was one where she she was standing under a glorious Morden Bay fig tree, and I was cradled a newborn in her arms. During all the years I have treasured that image, I never thought to ask, who took the photo? I just assumed it had been my father because he was the only other human being who truly understood how it felt to love a tree as much as he loved those nearest and dearest to him. I believe it was my father who began a personal tradition of visiting the tree every year on his birthday. 
Special memories for me involved all my childhood birthday parties being celebrated down in the North Paddock, a feast spread on a picnic blanket, and cousins and friends playing in around a tree. I had seen my father hug the tree every time he celebrated a birthday, and it wasn't long before I imitated him, wrapping thin little arms around the tree's girth to give it a birthday hug. On those days, I would whisper to the tree that it was the tree's birthday too, and I soon began to develop a habit of bringing the tree small gifts to celebrate its special day. Sometimes I brought a storybook to the tree and sat beneath its spreading canopy to read aloud an Aesop's tale or a telly story made from my very own imagination. Other times I would come armed with two birthday cupcakes, one for each of us. When I returned the, ne the next day, the tree's cake was always gone, and I imagined it ate it for supper under the cover of darkness. In all my 80 years, I missed only two birthday visits to the Moreton Bay Fig, and on those times I instructed my father to give it a hug for me. He insisting he tell the tree I sent him in my place. When I was an adolescent, my father installed a pump in a nearby creek, dug a little trench, installed some water pipe. On my 13th birthday, Dad switched the pump on to deliver a nice cool drink to the tree. I told the tree it was a gift from both of us as we were expecting a very dry summer. The tree survived the drop beautifully, spreading its prolific shallow roots to seek moisture wherever it could find it, especially after the creek succumbed to the seasonal dryness, drying out to reveal a bed of mud that dried and cracked wide open in the heat. In my 50th year, my mother passed away, leaving my father devastated and alone. I walked back to the farmhouse with my husband and two children and cared for him and our tree until Dad grew sick and very frail. I often wheeled my father in his chair to visit the tree on sunny days. Together we sat in the peace and solitude offered by the surrounding countryside. Words were not necessary. Dad was content to gaze at the tree while I read quietly from my phone, treasuring the companionship of my ailing father. As the fates would have it, he passed away in his wheelchair at the foot of our tree on one glorious spring afternoon, merely a week before his 78th birthday. His final wishes left the farm and everything on it to me, and I vowed I would guard it and the tree zealously, hoping that one of my two children would take, one day take the reins from me. My beloved husband died of an unexpected heart embolism two years later. Distraught, I spent much of my free time under the tree, telling it of my blistering grief and the emptiness of heart I was forced to endure. I spent many more days than my birthday anniversary hugging the tree, drawing support and courage from its rough-hewn bark. My children had shown no interest or overwhelming love for the tree, and I lived with consternation for the tree's future should I ever pass away unexpectedly. I know you love that old tree, Mom, my son would grumble over shared scones with jam and cream, but it is a Moreton Bay fig. You know how its rotten invasive root systems spread for meters, and that's only what you can see. It is ruining that pasture for anything else. It is, I defended hotly, but the pasture belongs to the tree, and the tree will stay as long as it grows healthy and strong. I glared at my children warningly. Nothing happens to that tree as long as I live. This farm is yours to do with you as you like when I go, and I expect you to protect the tree for as long as you hold on to the property. I understand that you can't control a tree's destiny if you sell the property. This statement was always met with reluctant agreement, and I knew in my heart that eventually the farm would go under the auctioneer's hammer and the tree's destiny would be in the hands of new owners. My 80th birthday dawned under cool, clear autumn skies accompanied by the trilling of birdsong. The bird life had long been encouraged by my dear husband, and I continued to delight in their daily visits, which helped to keep my husband near but I always kept the dark hole in my heart open and raw. 
I forced myself to leave the comfort of my bed, dressed slowly, and made my way to the north pasture. I hadn't felt particularly well for some time, and I blamed my lack of vitality on my husband's passing and the extra work involved in keeping a small holding running. Maybe, I ruminated sadly, that I would be forced to place the property under the auctioneer's hammer sooner than anticipated. My children were coming to share a birthday lunch with me, but I wanted to visit my tree before they arrived. So I traced slowly to the north paddock, stopping occasionally to gather strength and appreciate the beautiful vista of my property. The tree stood tall, visible down in the north paddock, but it had never felt as far away as, this on, as on this day. I knew that the time was coming when I too would be visiting in a wheelchair and greet, knowing that my children would not always be available and wheel me to with welcoming girth on special days. I finally drew close, stumbling slightly a few times as I tripped over gnarly roots that broke through the soil meters from the tree. Hello, dear Morty, I addressed a glorious evergreen with the name my father had bestowed upon the tree decades earlier. Stumbling again, I reached out to steady myself against the tree's uneven trunk. Do be careful, a soft voice floated ethereally upon the breeze. I twisted my neck in surprise, concerned that someone had arrived before me. There was nobody, and I shook away a foolish fantasy that the tree had spoken. Morty's leaves shifted in response to an autumn breath, a slight sigh of air that ruffled leafy feathers. I imagined my tree preening in anticipation of a birthday hug. Happy birthday to us. I reached my portly arms around Morty's waist and laid my cheek wearily upon his bark. The walk from the house had aghast me far beyond expectations. Happy birthday, whispered a gentle voice, caressing my ears, awakening me to senses I had not known existed. Morty, I queried through, queried through incredulous lips, knowing deep within that the tree was indeed speaking to me. It is I, whispered the tree. Will you do something for me? The question was a suggestion of sound whispering through the air. I nodded, pressing my aching chest into the trunk of my friend. Do you, do you have your speaking device? asked the suggestion of a voice, a mere spectral vibration that teased my mind. My phone? I felt Morty tremble, and I marveled at the sensation. I nodded. Call your family and tell them where you are. Do that for me. There is no need, I whispered. I will be back at the house before they arrive. Call, my dear, insisted the softest voice. Do this for me. I reached carefully into my jacket pocket to retrieve my phone and speed dialed my son. He answered on the third ring. Yeah, Mom, is there something you want me to bring? No, no, I replied, sensing Morty's urgency. I just want to let you know, if I'm not at the house when you arrive, I'm having my tree birthday visit. Okay, Jamie replied, obviously wondering what was up. Shouldn't be too long before we leave. Say I love you, Morty prompted me. I love you and Sally, Jamie. See you soon. I disconnected the call halfway through James' reciprocal, Love you too, Mom. My phone slipped from my fingers and fell to rest in a pile, soft pile of detritus. It seemed unimportant at the moment. This is a wondrous day, Morty, I murmured through his rough-hewn chest. Such a happy, happy birthday for us both. And a happy death day, too, my lovely friend, sighed the sentinel being from the depths of its leafy soil. This, too, is a day we will share. My body is diseased, as is yours. And though I will stand for some time to come, I will be eaten from the inside out and will wilt and slowly succumb to the ravages of my infliction. I became aware of soft leafy limbs folding gently around my weakened body, cradling me, preventing my slow spill to the uneven surface of the ground, still hard and cold from winter frost. 
Tears welled and spilled as I realized that this was how my family would find me, taken within the gentle embrace of my lifelong friend. I sighed as my life force ebbed, knowing my dear parents and husband awaited, and somehow, I knew, Morty would manifest again in a garden paradise to spread his glorious tubers in fertile soil, blessed for all eternity. Trees are, trees are sanctuaries. Whoever knows how to speak to them, whoever, whoever knows how to listen to them, can learn the truth. Herman Hess. And she goes on here, and just talks, she talks about herself, and talks about me and trees. I have a particular fondness for trees. My photograph collection is dominated by trees of all varieties, tall trees, short trees, trees with glorious, perfectly balanced foliage, trees with diseases and blight, trees that could not be described as either attractive or pleasing to the eye, and yet they are all trees. They exist in a myriad of colors, forms, serve a multitude of purposes. Beautiful in their differences, trees grace the earth's surface, providing us with shade, serving as windbreaks, protection from the elements. Their leaves and bark capture and contain airborne dust, while their leaves filter the air we breathe and release life supporting oxygen. Just like people, every plant is uniquely crafted, forming part of a whole that is all life on earth. Here's another quote. It is not so much for its beauty that the forest makes a claim upon men's hearts, as for that subtle something, that quality of air, that emanation from old trees, that so wonderfully changes and renews a weary spirit by Robert Louis Stevenson. And that's the end of that story. I hope you really liked it. Um, again, her name is Rain Laurie, and her and her partner publish in the RVR. If you ever want to read more of her stuff, that's where you can find her. So then I've got one last story for you tonight, and it's from my friend Mitch, who's originally from St. Tropez, down in the Caribbean, currently lives in the South southeast and he wrote a st story a few a couple about three years ago or four years ago now called nobody's dog hungry alone he thought he was forgotten but he wasn't now this is a science fiction story so i'll give you a fair warning i don't mind the darkness but the last few nights the air echoed was echoed with strange sounds sirens screamed down empty streets loud bangs split the air like thunder but from inside the houses screaming people crying Children bawling, begging for their mamas and papas. I didn't see the man that took care of me all day yesterday and today. I knew he was inside the house. I heard him coughing and he sounded bad, really bad. Like his lungs were filled with water and he was trying to hack it out. He breathed funny too. It sounded like bubbles. I heard them as they made little wet pops when they burst in his nose. But that's not the worst part. The really bad part was the smell coming from the house. It smelled like dead things like turning over a log with your nose and white worms wriggling out of the rot and the damp in the dark. All I had left was hope. I hoped the man would get better and come outside to see me, to feed me, to tell me it would be all right and he was there now. But he didn't, and the sun kept heading for the tree line over the street. I don't mind the darkness. The last few nights the air echoed with strange sounds. Sirens screamed down empty streets. Loud bangs split the air like thunder, but inside the houses. Screaming, people crying, children bawling, begging for their mamas. Sometimes heavy metal birds chop, chop, chop through the dark sky, blinking red eyes as they went. They were always in a hurry. Most nights, I huddle in the hollow beneath my tree, curling up and shivering in the winter cold. But the sounds tonight were too loud, too near, too much. More having things crashed and tumbled and rumbled in the ground. 
I could feel every explosion in my paws, in my ears, in my eyes. I would run, but I'm on duty and chained to the leaning oak tree. High overhead, clusters of light flickered on and off behind the gloomy clouds. Men wearing clothes the color of leaves tramped down the sunless streets, their boots drumming hard on the tarmac. They don't see me. I'm lying flat in the dirt. They look scared as they march. I can see it in their faces. They smell of sweat and grease and fear. But none of these worried me as much as the quiet whispering. I could barely hear it, but it was there, at the very edge of my hearing, as if the wind had tiny mouths sighing soft unwords into the air. Inside the house, the man breathed slower. I strained my ears. <clears throat> he wasn't coughing anymore. His breath hitched and rasped as it wormed its way out. I heard him speak, but I'm not sure what he said, but it sounded like pleading. I wish I wasn't chained up like this. I would go to him. I would help. Just down the street, I heard the funny sounds again. One block, two maybe. Sounded like two or three humans talking quietly. I couldn't hear their words, only the shapes their mouths made. I lifted myself and walked to the bowl. I knew it was empty, but I looked at it anyway. There was nothing there. My legs trembled. How long could how long could I stand on them before the pain in my belly emptied into a black hole and would turn me inside out? I limped back to the hollow. It would be a little warmer among the roots, and I snuggled, snuggled down for the night, trying to press my body deeper into the dirt. My sides scraped the roots as I tried to get comfortable. I hoped it wouldn't get too cold. If it did, I'd tremble so hard I wouldn't be able to sleep. That sound again, whispering, voices. Are there bad people near the fence? I lifted my head to look at the house. Shadows filled the empty windows. Night spilled into the rooms and filled them with silence. My human wasn't breathing anymore. I whined quietly. I would miss him. But the fence. I peered up and down the crumbling sidewalks. All the houses were like mine. The lights went out days ago. Someone stood right at the rusted chain links and leaned over my fence. I couldn't see them. Whoever was there hid in the shadows, darker than the dark. The whispers were louder now. I don't I don't know what they said. There were no words. What should I do? I couldn't escape. I wondered if I should scream. I screamed. My voice trembled in my dry throat. I wasn't in pain, but the constant muttering scared me. The whispering wasn't human. I'd never heard wordless words before. It felt like silver shining snakes trying to get inside my ears, inside my head, louder and louder. The shadow moved closer now. It was inside the fence. There. It stood right at my empty food bowls. I bristled. Who dared come over the fence? Who invaded my space? I prepared to defend myself. I would defend my human. I glanced at the dark, silent house, even if he wasn't there. I bared my teeth and growled. The mumbling softened. I took a trembling step forward. Hunger and cold poured into my legs, and they felt hard and brittle like glass, but I could still bite. Hackles lifted up along my neck. The shadow came closer. Now it was right at the tree. I could see a little better. Someone was stood there. I couldn't see their face. I couldn't smell them either, but I could hear them. They muttered quiet words to me, and somehow I felt better. Just a little. The way I felt when the man came out of the house with food for me. And stranger than strange, somehow I knew the shadow wasn't a man. It felt female. Softer. Restful. The whispers soothed. I tried to wag my tail to show I was a friend, but I was so cold, so tired. The shadow bent down to meet me. Hands came toward my head. Strange hand with fingers that were too few, too long, and gray like the concrete sidewalks that bordered the empty houses. Hands that smelt like summer nights when fireflies were out, and the sound of cicadas and peeping frogs drowsed your eyes. When she touched me, I jumped. My first spark blew, and I felt tiny bursts of energy flow down my back, down my legs, and into my heart. 
the gnawing hole at the center of my body folded on itself and vanished. I stood. I looked up at the shadow woman, trying my hardest to see her face. She was nothing like I'd ever seen before. Her eyes were huge, like wet black river stones, so much bigger than my humans. Her nose was tiny, just openings instead of a sniffer, and from her long, thin mouth she made soothing sounds that made me whimper. I was terrified and delighted in turns. Only when her lipless mouth curled up I knew the shadow was friend, not enemy. I managed to wag my tail just once. I felt a comfortable blanket. No, not a blanket, something else, something soft and warm. I looked into her strange face and wondered what I was seeing. She was unlike any two legs I'd ever seen. I felt the chain around my neck break, and suddenly I was free. My only tie to this place, this house, these people, my only link to them snapped like dry forest twigs. The tree behind me broke in half and fell backward in a splintery crash at, the, at a glance from the shadow woman. It fell into the yard like thunder from the sky. I watched as she waved her double-jointed arms and a fence at the front of my yard unfolded and pelted, scraping down the tree in a firestorm of bright yellow sparks. She turned and whispered to me again. This time her meaning was clear. Come. Then shadows wrapped around her and her face disappeared again into the darkness. I looked at the man's house for the last time. He was long gone, along with all the other two legs in the empty houses up and down the street. I hope my new friend had something for me to eat. I wagged my tail and followed. I never felt better. And that's the end of my stories for tonight. I hope you liked them. Um, and I'll return again next week with some more. And again, I, you know, I tell you, not all of my stories are going to be of the same genre. I like to offer you a variety of things. I've got poetry that I pulled up um, and some stories of any number of kinds. Um, you know, next week I've got one that's kind of sort of Christian, and even though I'm not a Christian. Um, but, you know, still a little bit bumpy, scary stuff and sometimes. I've even got one in the wings for much later on. Um, a very, very science fiction fantasy story for you. It's in, it's in several chapters, but I'll give you that. I'll give you more about that later on. I might even have some love stories for you. I mean, like the one I gave you today, you know, so you never know. So until next time, I hope you come back again. I would like to thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it, and you'll return again for another episode of On Crombieha. Feel free to share this with your friends or relations. The more the merrier. Each podcast episode will be free and can be found on many different platforms now, although some may have advertisements. Unfortunately, I have no control over that. Search for On Crombieha or under my name, T-O-D-O-M-H-N-I-I-L-L, in your favorite app. I hope I've achieved my goal in helping you feel like we've been sitting under the tree of life together during our time. As a Shanghai, I want to continue to delight you with a story or two that may bring you a smile or make you think a little after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May your blessings outnumber the shamrocks that grow, and may trouble avoid you wherever you go. Slong a foil, which means goodbye for now in Irish.